I don't know how to explain it. I just, the way that, like, you know, I've started to write a blog because I was never really good at English, which is a shame because now I wish I'd known a bit more, had a stronger literacy foundation because I now write a blog and I notice it in the way that I write. It's very, and it's really full of flavor and it's, you know, it's, I, I would call my writing rich and delicious because I like to use juicy adjectives and I like to make you feel like you're tasting what I'm eating. And then I'd ask you, oh, did you swallow that well? Did you chew on my thoughts? Did you digest it? Or is it, did you have a bad flavor left in your mouth after reading it? You're listening to the NZPE TeacherCast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With online achievements and badges for completing key tasks, My Study Series ensures students are highly engaged and motivated to learn. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 34 of the NZPE TeacherCast. Before we get started, let me just say this will be one of the best episodes you've heard on the podcast, so get ready and settle in. It's not often I record the introduction to a podcast post-interview, but going into this episode I knew very little about our guest. Mary Bevan is a recent graduate who has been doing some relief work in Auckland, and she was recommended as a guest by Troy Ruhi, who has formerly been on the podcast, and he's also featuring in next week's video log. All I really knew going in was that sustainability and a passion for the outdoors were some of the key philosophies Mary brings to the classroom. But what I quickly learned was that this doesn't even scratch the surface of the amazing teaching and critical thought she's bringing to her students. So let's jump straight in. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about your school and the students you teach? Yeah, yeah. So I have just come fresh out, fresh off the boat um, from university. So I finished my master's of teaching last year and I decided I, for myself, wouldn't really be able to give a lot to teaching until I got some more life experience under my belt. So instead of going into my beginner teacher role, I've just been doing some relief teaching work around Auckland and I picked up a long-term reliever job at Pakarang College which is an amazing school, super progressive. And I found it to be really inclusive. And I found a lot of the students, their abilities range, but they're all included amongst the class as well. So yeah, overall, my experience as a relief teacher has been absolutely fantastic. So that, that answer just raises a few questions for me. So you, you've done a master's in education. What made you go ahead and do the master's? Uh, well, truth be told, my when I was seven years old, you know, that age where you always asked, oh, what do you want to be when you're older? And I could come up with no better answer than to be a teacher. And that's just because I, in my mind, thought that a teacher is someone who every day you get to build into other people and make them see the best of themselves. And so after I finished my four-year PE degree, I only – it only made sense for me to carry on and do that one-year Masters of Teaching and Learning. Okay, so I, I haven't heard of that Masters of Teaching because we, we I've just done a generic um, graduate diploma. So is, are the two different? Yeah, well, I mean, they're just trying to find a quicker and easier way to pump teachers out, I guess. Um, it's I think there's a few one-year degrees now where you could come out with a teaching qualification, and this one's just at Otago. Master of Teaching and Learning, where they took away the dip grad that was before it. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And you, you, you mentioned this that you didn't feel you had enough life experience. I find that's that's really <laughs> interesting as well. Like, I'm I'm pretty, I'm pretty when I think back to my when I started teaching, mm. I had zero life experience, <laughs> and 
But I had no hesitation. It didn't cross my mm. mind to go, oh, actually, I think I need a little bit of life experience. So <laughs> can you describe that for me? Yeah, sure. You know, it's normal to go from high school to university and straight into the career or profession that you have been studying for. For myself, I have always been someone who has taken the path less traveled. And I just didn't feel as though I could bring justice to my professional role as a teacher through going or through only experiencing the education system as opposed to, you know, going out into the world and getting a taste of learning and experiential learning for yourself and then coming back and especially as a health teacher, being able to say, yeah, I've experienced this or, you know, not even saying that you've experienced things, but being able to relate to a range of people and being able to communicate open-minded ideas and yeah, I think be a bit more relatable to a wider range of people. Yeah, I can I can see that. I can see where you're coming from with that. And and again, thinking back to my experience, I was I was very much uh, I guess a sheltered teacher. I, I was quite fortunate that I started my career at uh, Wellington High School, which sounds very similar to to Pakuranga, and it's it's quite a, mm. a, a liberal, forward thinking school. And mm. I, th- I think if I hadn't have started there then I, I would have been, I, I guess my, as a beginning teacher, my experiences would have been a lot different. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, I think that's a really mature way of thinking about your, your shift into your career as a teacher. Are you, are you concerned yeah. at all that you're going to struggle to find a job um, once you've, you know, gained some of this experience that you're, that you're seeking at the moment? Absolutely not. There, yeah. <laughs> From what I've learned of even just coming to Auckland to relief, I was chomped up so quickly. I never had a day without work. Wow. And it's just because people are in such desperate need for teachers. Yep. And I was always told that as a PE teacher, there's huge fluctu- fluctuations. So yep. there's too many, there's not enough. And I came out, I've come out now just in that time where it's perfect timing as a PE teacher. But I also have that mind. I think a lot of life is the mindset you carry with you. And my brother who's older than me, he always said, look, you've got to, you've, you've got to show and sell yourself for any job that you have. And I just have that mindset and belief that I'm going to be great in any job that I go into. So why wouldn't someone want to hire me? (laughs) Not in a cocky way. You're going to, you've got to put yourself out there in a positive way that makes you look attractive to those people who are going to hire you one day. I think it's a very good mindset to have. So you've just finished, just finished your tertiary study. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that, that like your, your highs, your lows and, and any interesting points from <laughs> your time studying for Z and all of that? Yeah. Now, you know, you're asking a Dunedin student, like, about my uni experience. Yeah, Just... I, you know, I, did, I did a year in Dunedin and I, I was a high jumper at uni. So I, the, the yeah. weather just the weather didn't work for me. So I only lasted a year uh, before I had to pull the pin. But um, I, I, I've heard lots of stories and I've got a few students down there at the moment who tell me all about it. But um, I'm, keen to, I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Well, if only you could have lasted longer in Dunedin because it's amazing. I will always rave about my experiences in, at, from university. And I guess my highs would be, first and foremost, my four-year PE degree. So the phys ed degree in Otago, it's had a great reputation, and it's because it's had this culture of whakawhanaunatanga or kinship really run deep into the roots. You become proud to be a fitter. I remember sitting on a plane once and – sat down, just started having a chat to the lady next to me. Turns out she also went to the phys ed school in Otago, and it's this instant connection where you can talk about the camps that you went on or the things that you experienced. So that is something I'm actually wearing my um, PE top because you get, you know, merchandise from the PE school if you buy it. And it's just something, it's a culture that you become so proud of, and it produces this archetype, this um this type of person that comes from the school, you know, just yep. really confident, friendly people. Um, but other than that, I'd say my other high would be I just got my certificate of my master's in the mail the other day and had it with distinction. So oh, last year was probably like, thank you, thank you. Last year was a pretty hard year for me, um, not because of uni, but just to come out with that 
a high academic grade, it means a lot to me personally. So yeah, super stoked about that. <laughs> no, sounds, sounds good. And definitely the, you know, I, I, you know, Troy who has been on the podcast and, and he's, mm. a, he's a, a young man who I hold in really high esteem and, and he speaks passionately about phys ed school much the yeah. same as you do. So um, they're obviously yeah. doing some really good things down there. Yeah. Well, I guess it ties in really nicely to my low is the fact that um, he's probably told you that they went through a lot of slashing of yep. the physical education degree there. So, yeah, I think um, that, well, if you go through the archives of Otago Daily Time, I was heavily involved in um, making the students' voice heard down there of our concerns around what was happening with the school. So, yeah, that's probably my biggest low because you, you have such a you have such a heart for the school and you care for it so much that you just want it to see people coming into something that you loved so much yeah. and to have sort of the system break it down and take away the practicals. We definitely, uh, as as a, a community of physical educators, we that, that that news of all of those cuts and everything that happened there was was um, was really interesting news, and and a lot a lot of people uh, were quite appalled by it, and it definitely yeah. generated a lot of discussion around the community about what was happening there, and you know the what should have been happening and the way things should have been done or could have been done, but you know at, at the end of the day, it, it's kind of I guess you just have to roll with whatever an organisation is doing, and um, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I probably don't know enough about what happened there. And there's obviously different sides of the story, and and there's a lot yeah. to talk about. But from just from an outsider perspective, it seemed like there were some really weird things or weird judgments made, and I feel really sorry yeah. for some of the people that were impacted that and in, in that because there were some good people that are committed a lot of time and invested a lot of time to that school and um, kind of left out in the dark, which was a bit sad. Yeah, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, I guess kudos to Otago University because it's a strategic move for them, move towards research, that's where the money is. Yeah. And in, in an earlier discussion I've had with you, you, meant, you mentioned two lecturers who have inspired you and, and had a, a significant influence on you, and they were Anne-Marie Jackson and, and Dr. Hawiti Hakupa. How have they helped, I guess, shape your educational philosophy as you've gone through as a, as a, a tertiary student and now out in the workforce? How, how's that, I guess, had an impact on you? That question really excites me. Um, just, you know, just such fond memories of them and two others who I'd add alongside Anne-Marie and Howity would be Jeff Ockwell and Mike Boys. And they came at a really crucial time of my fourth year when I actually had the hang of the university system and how to do essays. And I started to develop these small passions. And the reason why these four lecturers so significantly influenced me was because they all had this harmony without knowing it. They all had this message coming across about nature and research, leadership and finding your passion. And I think at the end of the day, what they all did for me, and especially Amory and Howity, as I wrote a research paper under them, um, they provided me an outlet for my ideas, for my thoughts. And they so gently guided me to show me that there is flexibility within systems that, someone who has a creative mind like myself that thinks visually and sort of in poetic form can use that to my strength when writing in high academic uh, essay, you know? So for me, what I have come away from is that encouragement of everyone for their differences and seeing and finding those strengths, especially coming into teaching now, you see it, students are so different. And it's not about just trying to make them come to meet your criteria, whether that's, you know, assignments or whatever it is, but trying to look at them and say, wow, you're really, really good at that. How can I utilize that? And how can we work together to make education a place where you succeed? Mm. That's really powerful. And I, you know, I, I sit there and I think about the people that influence me and how I hold these people in really high regard and the impact that they've had on my life. And then I look at some of the, the young people that I'm in front of day to day and I, I kind of, I wish so much for them that they 
can have somebody like that in their lives and just the way you described that the impact that um Anne-Marie and, and Hawati have had on you it's it's just so powerful and I know that some of that a lot of our kids that we teach and we educate these days they don't have those role models or they don't have those people to look up to to learn from and and I think that's really sad in, in, in a way and um, yeah you mentioned that you're somebody who thinks visually and in a poetic form what what do you mean by that and what, what does that look like <laughs> good question um, I only really discovered it in university because I I don't really think I was set up well for university from school and I actually what school did you go to? in my second I went to Marist College okay in Auckland and very small all girls school um, but you know I was one of those kids you know those kids that just they look like they're doing fine so they don't really get a lot of teacher attention but they when they get to more so second year of uni because that's where it really tests you they sort of just crumble. And that was me. I was getting a couple of C minuses and freaking out because I'd never, I just, I'd sort of just passed through everyone's eye. And um, yeah, it wasn't until I came to people who valued research and showed me how I can use um, the visuals that I had in my mind. Because when I think I would, I, and I did this even back in school, i think in pictures. So if someone wanted me to describe, let's say, Newton's laws, I'd have to come up with a metaphor for them to understand it. And I'd have come up with a few different ones because I, even early on in my years, I knew that one thing didn't work for everyone, mm -hmm. you know, and that's something that I really grasped onto because I always felt different, especially being able to be such a visual person who needed to be hands-on yeah, in the education system, we're just told to write. Yep. And that never really worked for me. Um, yeah, and I always just saw, I really took on that idea of if we were all animals, you can't tell every animal to climb a tree. And that's the assessment. Because if you tell a fish to climb a tree its whole life, it's going to believe it's stupid. Wow. So, yeah, for me, I think it was really powerful when I got people who encouraged the poetry and the poetic way I explained things is something that I could utilize in the way that I wrote. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know how, how, how I can explain it. All I want to do right now is sort of draw it down. <laughs> <for> you. <laughs> yeah. So you, you quite, you, would you consider yourself, I, I guess, if you, if you visualize a lot of that stuff, your imagery is associating that with pictures. Are you quite an artsy person or is that probably not a good way to describe that mindset? <laughs> you know, I like to think that I could draw. We, could, we all can, just some better than others. <laughs> um, I would say, I don't know how to explain it. I just, the way that, like, you know, I've started to write a blog because I was never really good at English, which is a shame because now I wish I'd known a bit more had a stronger literacy foundation because I now write a blog and I notice it in the way that I write. It's very, and it's really full of flavor and it's, you know, it's, I, I would call my writing rich and delicious because I like <laughs> to use juicy adjectives and I like to make you feel like you're tasting what I'm eating. And then I'd ask you, Oh, did you swallow that? Well, did you, chew on my thoughts did you digest it or is it did you have a bad flavor left in your mouth after reading that so that's how to explain it. everything that I just said it's kind of how I think on a regular basis I think in color and I see in a visual way <laughs> sounds silly now that I say it no, out loud. <laughs> I don't think that sounds silly at all and like I mean what we we're three questions into this podcast interview and, and already I'm like man I can't wait for you to get your first permanent job and like, and I want to find out where you're teaching. I want to send my kids there because man, your classes would just be, oh, they'd just be so exciting. Just the way you described that to me, it got me really excited. And it's like, oh. it's eight o'clock at night and it's about six degrees <laughs> outside and I'm freezing sitting in a classroom right now and I'm getting pumped up about, I can't even remember how you described it, but man, it sounds good. <laughs> Good. So uh, outdoor education has been a big part of your focus through university. Huge. Um, 
how do you how do you see this passion manifesting itself in your approach to teaching physical education and health? I know you're a reliever at the moment, um, but you know how do you, how do you see that? Um, I guess coming through in the way you teach. Look, that's so exciting because I'm not in a permanent position yet, as you said, but even just to think how I can bring that into PE excites me because I, I've had experiences of what it's like to be outdoors and what I have personally learned and gained from that. Um, and I was thinking about this of what I've done previously because I've been at placement schools last year for a long period of time. I went to an all-boys school in Dunedin and an all-girls school in Dunedin. And you can sort of create those outdoor experiences. You can mirror and generate similar whakawhanaunatanga um, or kinship bonding that you gain from camp experiences. So, you know, I've done this with seniors for t- team building or adventure-based learning activities in the PE classroom because you can easily integrate that into assessments and into other ways. And you get that faux camp experience mm-hmm. in a one-hour period. <laughs> have you managed to do that in your as as a reliever at the moment? Have you managed to instill that sort of approach? Yeah, there's. So right now, I'm just taking juniors, year nine and ten, for for a teacher. And I had this one class. I tell you, the most negative class I've ever been faced with. Just three lessons, and you know those classes you come away and you think. Was it something that I was doing? Can I somehow change to make this better? And so I trialed it three three different ways. (laughs) Good. I trialed three different things and like they were still really negative. They had no teamwork. They don't want to cooperate. And so the next lesson, I just decided, okay, we're not going to play sport. We're not going to carry on with the unit that we're doing. We're just going to take a little bit of time for you as a class because they're the year nine. So, and it's term two week one, week two. So maybe they just need time to get to know each other. So we just did some really basic adventure-based learning activities. And I must say now getting to the week five, so I'm almost leaving them as a class. I'm so happy to hand them over to the next reliever, knowing that they've got this new sense of team spirit amongst them and they can integrate and divide into teams and work a lot better. So yeah, for me, those little uh, checkpoints really encourage me that this whole idea and the reason we do outdoor education, it works. And you see it in the interpersonal skills that students build. Yeah, that, that sounds fascinating. And I guess it's kind of, if I, if I relate it back to what I spend a lot of my time doing in the classroom, it's a, about trying to, I guess, facilitate an approach where they kind of come together as one and they can work together on, on a level that's kind of, it's a, I feel like I want to say self-directed and they can manage themselves, but I think it's a bit more than that. And I think outdoor education yeah. does um, provide this opportunity where they can operate at a, at a level that's a little bit different to what you can generate and facilitate just in a classroom or just in a gym. And, and it's a bit more, Yeah. I don't think holistic's the word, but it, that's what I'm going to use. It's just a bit more holistic in that approach. Uh, I think I've just. Well, it's really, it's really collaborative, isn't yeah, it? It's, yeah. At the end of the day, we talk about, and especially when I went through my master's degree, we're throwing around this word of trying to encourage the lifelong learner. And you think, okay, awesome. What does it actually look like? And our whole world, our whole society, it's about relationships. So shouldn't we be focusing on how students can build relationship with each other and build relationship with that other kid that they don't actually get along with that well? But you're going to have difficult people in this world and you've got to learn now those interpersonal skills so you can be confident and successful navigating your way through a very social society. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, lifelong learning doesn't actually have to mean that it's about learning new content or learning new skills. It, it can, you know, it can just be about relationships and connecting and and meeting new people and, and stuff like that. I think people get caught up a little bit with that descriptor that that means that when you leave school, you've got to find a way to learn something new. And when you move into the workforce, you've got to be learning, learning, learning. And yeah. you know, for me, when I, I, I was at school for sport and that was it. And even as I started teaching, it was kind of, 
it wasn't even something I felt I really wanted to do. And, and now I love it. And it wasn't until I was about 33, 34 that I become passionate about learning again and wanting to <laughs> learn new things. And, and now that's, it's a massive part of my life is seeking out opportunities to learn. But I don't think if you had told me when I finished university that oh, you need to carry on learning, I, 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 well, that's not attractive to me. It is, it is now. <laughs> yeah. It is now. Yeah. But um, I just needed time to, I guess, experience and relate to people. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't And it's when you sort of expand what learning is. For me, I think about what life is. Life is relationship. Life is being. And when you sort of realize that life is learning and learning is life, you sort of get this excitement because as soon as you stop learning, that's when you die and become stagnant. Yep. But as soon as you realize that learning is everything and in every opportunity that you have before you, you look at you look at it more from a whole order or a well-being sense of learning is social, learning is physical, learning is mental, emotional, and learning is spiritual. Mm. And you can grasp that in your everyday life just by being around others or being around nature. Yeah, uh, It excites me. It excites me when people sort of, start to understand that learning isn't content because yep. content changes, you know, like back when we were a bit younger, Pluto was a planet. It's not anymore. <laughs> content will change. People will look back at us and be like, wow, in 2018, they were thinking this yep. really, man, they were silly. So, yeah. Touching on that, on that nature, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about sustainability, which I guess over the last few years has become a bit of a buzzword. So from, from a physical education perspective or a, or a health perspective, what, what's your definition of sustainability? You know what? I really don't like that word sustainability. It's something in, in my understanding, and I agree with you, it, uh, it is a buzzword and a trend word that you'd hashtag when you're feeling like you're doing something good for the environment. But if you look at it from my, from my perspective, I believe it's a really unhealthy term to use because it's based off of the fact of humans taking and it's almost sustaining. How much can we take to just sustain the earth, you know, just for us to still be alive on it, but shouldn't we switch it around and find a new word that is about this give and take and having a reciprocal and nourishing relationship with the earth, which sustains our life. It's sustaining us. We shouldn't, we should find something, I don't know, it just, it seems so unjust. It seems so human focused. I think there's a word for that. It's, is it ecocentrical or? Yeah, I, th I think you, you might be that, right. Or the other one. <laughs> okay. That, yeah, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. But so do you have a word in mind that you would prefer to use in place of sustainability that fits that criteria that you just talked about? I think ecocentric to be ecocentric. Okay. And so that's to be when you have this perspective of philosophy of valuing all life. So that means the bug over there on your wall or that plant outside, or maybe even that weed, or you know how people so often, and I do it too. Sometimes when you think instead of using the footpath, just going across that grass patch is going to be way faster to get to work. But instead let's think, okay, that's actually grass. And every time I go tread on it every day it's going to die so why don't I just take the path that's already out there for me so that I can keep letting nature be there and we can live together and I'm uplifting nature and in return nature is helping me to stay alive you you you're so philosophical <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say the word now you're so philosophical and uh, this this discussion is just fascinating um I'm so nervous though. <laughs> no, you, like, you shouldn't be. I, I You're speaking really just, well. Thank you. I just feel as though when I talk about these things, because you're hitting points that really matter to me. Yeah, yeah, it's, and, it's really clear. You know, You're super passionate about it. <laughs> well, you start talking about it. I just feel a little bit shaky. It could be the cold, but it <laughs> could be the passion just like building up inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, in Wellington, it is. Absolutely freezing. We our school got shut down last week uh, because there was a water leak, and then we were off for two days, and then we still don't have heating in the main block. And 
there was a power cut today because everyone turned up to school and put their heaters on. Talking, talking sustainability here. Uh, everyone put their heaters on to, to generate all this heat and then the power cut and they were, they were five minutes off calling off school again. But fortunately, wow. um, that didn't happen. Um, but you do. That's a hard one, eh? Yeah. Yeah. But oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. It's warm over in the gym. I know that because we're, we're not impacted, but I feel for everybody else a little bit. I feel for the students. Yeah. It's hard on Yeah. Yeah. And I can't really talk. I'm from Auckland. But I was going <laughs> to say as well with sustainability, even just your comment there. It's so, I just feel bad when we come to talking about this stuff because it's a topic where people feel, they feel guilty, you know, like just then you mentioned the heaters and you said, oh gosh, yeah. like look at us, we're so bad. And I just wish there was a way to frame it positively. Because the one thing, what got me into really caring for the earth was reading a book by Richard Love. And he was actually a big part of, helping me with my research because I got in contact with him and just shared my appreciation for his book because he framed it in a way that said, look, being out in the environment is actually really good for your health. There's all of these mental, emotional and spiritual, if you wish, benefits from them. So when you find out that it's good for you, what happens is you'll spend more time there and you're most likely going to start caring for the earth. And in my case, that's what happened. And I just wish there was a way with sustainability to make people see it from not a guilty perspective of like, oh, I have to recycle and I have to do this. Otherwise, I'm going to be seen as a bad person because at the end of the day, we're not perfect. And we do things for convenience because life is busy and life can be really difficult sometimes. So you do want it to be easy. Yeah, and life is busy. And and I I touch on this a wee bit in in a couple of questions, but... You know, I used to do this fantastic camp down in Diablo Tasman and I'd go down there every year and every year without fail, I'd stand there and go, this this is amazing. I've had the best four days I've had in a long time and mm. in three months' time, I'm coming back. And, and you go away and despite how amazing and fantastic and eye-opening and, um, and perfect that, that experience was, I just find myself rolling around to the next year and I haven't done anything about it. I'm still mm-hmm. uh, carrying on with life. I'm still going to the gym and, you know, f- and enhancing my well-being in a windowless building seven days a week. And I, I don't follow through with all of that stuff. I, I mean, what, what's, what, what do you think about that? What's a, what's an answer for that around um, pushing through the busyness of life and actually getting out a bit more? Yeah. Well, very good question. The first thing that comes to mind is we're creatures of habit. We get into routine because that's stable and that's constant. And I think something that will make you change your habit will come from a place of either logic or emotion or a combination of both to see either the effect that it will have on you or the effect that it has of people around you. You know, we could we could talk about how if you know someone, a loved one who's really close to you that has passed away from, from an illness or let's say smoking, for instance, you're probably less likely to pick up smoking because you've seen the direct effect of that. Mm-hmm. Or, you, you know, you see when it comes to climate change and the environmental issues, the people who are doing the least impact on the world, uh, those people who are going to be harmed, sadly, the most by it. So like in the poorer countries or maybe in islands where there's less recycling or there's less um, build-up of trash happening, they're the poorer countries that will be hit when the sea level rises. But because it's not, there's no effect on those people in wealthy areas, they're not going to change because they don't actually feel any of the effects of it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I'm fine, everything's okay over here. But they haven't seen the damage that their waste is causing. Mm. And I think we're really silly in the sense of we've taken away a lot of our spiritual parts of this world and we've really become disconnected to it. You look at a piece of meat that comes to your table and you think that this this chicken breast is what a chicken looks like because you yourself have never had to grab that chicken and prepare it for a meal. Whereas if you had, I think we'd become a bit more knowledgeable about the way that we eat and our impact on the earth with even something as simple as our food choices. 
Yeah. You you got me. I, I eat a lot of chicken. Um, <laughs> I had a feeling. No, I you, had a feeling. You've, you've got me thinking. Do that, you go to the Dirty Bird, though? Do you go to KFC oh, and get I, a bit I, of Dirty oh, Bird? No, 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 no. Oh, and maybe, maybe I think Double Downs are, are back in. I, I'm quite fond of a double down, um, but yeah. I, it just when you when you told that story, I in my head, I because I, I come up with all of these goals. Like people say something, I'm like, I'm going to do that. I want to do that. And you just made me think, I should really try to catch a chicken and prepare it and cook it, and that will just give me a, <laughs> an appreciation for. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but that's, yeah. that's what comes into my head. <laughs> go catch a chicken. That's the moral of the story. Everyone out there, <laughs> go and catch chicken. Well, you're right, though. You, well, I you, think- you, you prepare your dinner. You, well, you go to the supermarket. I don't even go to the supermarket. I order it online and it's delivered to my door. I don't think twice about the food that comes into the house. I put it in the mm-hmm. fridge and then I chuck it on the pan and I cook it and I've given it zero, zero thought. And just by yeah. considering that a bit more, will kind of maybe get me in that mindset that, uh, of yeah. appreciation a little bit more. And I mean, we can even up the playing field and we can even attack anyone who's vegetarian as well out there because it's easy to be vegetarian and be unhealthy. You can have like chips every day for the rest of your life. But I mean, why not grow a veggie garden and put in some labor and grow your own veggies and know what it takes to have really earthy, good, organic veggies? Yeah. I don't think anyone's perfect no. and I would never want to make people think, oh, I'm such a bad person, but I think it should be about feeling and trying every day to be a better person, not just to find out this question of who am I, but who do I want to become and what can I do with what I have, where I am to make myself a better person and make the people around me better people. So how can how can educators be a little bit more eco-centric in our approach to teaching and our, and our learning area and physical education and health and outdoor education. Nice. I just had to digest that one. Um, <laughs> I really believe that it has to start with you. Anything that you feel needs to be done in this world, you have to look at what you're doing in this world. So whether it's you want world peace you want a really clean environment. You want blank anything. What do you want in this world? You've got to look inside and inward first. So if you want peace in the world, then if you want world peace, you've got to have peace in your own heart and then have peace in your family, peace in your community, and then it will spread. You know, it's that idea of um, what's that little, the idea of the ripples effect? The butterfly effect. Is that the one? Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> I don't know. I lost it. I love quotes <laughs> and it was just one that came to mind oh, okay. in a real flutter. Um, but yeah, every, I think every little thing becomes the big things. And, you know, for myself as, as an educator, I think you've got to look at what you're doing personally. But then I also think, you know, you can't, You've also got to start making motion and getting support from your school. So if you wanted to use less waste or maybe in a positive frame, you wanted to create a recycling system or a better recycling system in your classroom and in your school, you do have to have the support of your your community, of your school community, of the parents, of the students. You've got to get people on board and sell it in a way that is beneficial to everyone and not a hard task to do because obviously in our day and age, it's about the quick and easy. Mm. Mm. We've gone through a, a similar process here, a teacher or a, the recycling thing, a teacher here was passionate about it um, and and she ended up, it was raised at a staff forum and then she's kind of taken it a bit further and she, she's shown some leadership around that and it, it's really cool to see that unfold and how that has taken shape over the last month or so. Um, but yeah, like that's yeah, very cool. Yeah, I think I was just going to say I think hearing about the story from your school almost begs the question of that's more important of how do you sustain sustainability or being ecocentric. You know how you always hear of something starting because of one person's passion, but yep. then let's say you take that peg, that person out, 
and then all of a sudden it's all gone and you think oh but it was going so well yeah i i think that for me is thinking of how can you create many people to collaborate and care about something you know that's why i think at the end of the day life is simple life is about relationship like at pe school i talked about when we had a meeting with all the students i talked about this idea that if we were all just one single thread that's all you were on your own you're quite easily broken and you're quite easily downtrodden and your willpower is tested a lot easier but when you have a lot of threads and you bring them all together in a bundle and you tie them around and interweave them and you pull them tight and then you try and break all of those threads together it's so hard and it is near impossible to actually break all of those threads that have come together because they are so strong when they're united and so i think if we really want to make motions in our school especially ecocentric minded ones we need to bring in i think it's got to start from a base of really good relationship and phenomena in the community so that when one person cares about it the others can say oh you're passionate about that your passion is our passion and for me my teaching philosophy uh, it, it came from um, my classes with Amory and Howity is ehara takatoa ititoa takitahi ngare hitoa takitini success is not bestowed upon me alone but it is the success of the collective and so you need to look inwardly but then quickly bring in your community as part of that process if that makes sense <laughs> yeah it does make sense um and your community is is not just that external community to your school it's those people that are close to you and other educators yeah. and you know i i think it's easy to think of community as the wider community but you have your own you know you have your own tribe and it's been able to tap into a lot of that and get your support there as well i guess oh 100% and you know i always think of you become the average of the five people you surround yourself with the most i was thinking about and that you when you yeah five. when you were talking yeah. about the thread and and you could you can add that in there and if if you're of your five closest people you might have some weaker threads in there so you know you're not as strong but if those threads are really strong then you know that's yeah. you're more united i guess yeah and you bring by everyone coming together i don't think we can just look at people as being strong and weak because we all have different strengths yep. it's about exposing those and how we can all work together in a united front. Yeah. Did you forget the first question cuz I did? <laughs> what was did it was there an original question? Um no, I stra- I strayed a little bit I think. But that's yeah. all right. tangents are good. <laughs> so we we were we were kind of focused around getting an ecocentric approach or sustainability within education and we focused around the educator but what how do you think we can i mean society now is we we're driven by technology and a kid holds a phone and that is their their everything how can we when we think about what our kids are facing how can we encourage more young people to become i guess agents of change in this area ecocentric sustainability that's what yeah I, mean. oh, I think technology is great you know i I love that I'm a 90s baby and I can claim that I've had record players and I've had to wind back cassette tapes and all of the good stuff and now you get into this point in in our lifetime where everything is so accessible. Yes, it's got pros and cons to it, but if you want to look at the pros of having technology right at your fingertips, then you can start developing learners to be critical thinkers. You know, I've got a year 9 class at the moment and in Pakaranga they stream their classes so this is a top year 9 stream and i only learned about sociology in my university it's and at the moment we're talking about drugs and alcohol and they've quickly gotten on to the fact that alcohol is just a bad drug as any of the other drugs and i said okay then why is it all right in our society why do you think 
that we've allowed it to be. And they understand that it's a mindset thing and it's become a norm and that's what we've normalized it to be. But the reason that they're allowed to get into those ideas is because they've got the research there and they're not just given the answer from the teacher, but a lot of the time, especially what I've observed in Pakaranga College, is the teachers will say, okay, go look at that, go research it, go tell me what you find and we'll come back and we'll talk about it. And I think as a teacher, what's really important these days is instilling a foundation of curiosity and critical thinking and also starting to have those more open-minded foundations. So if we go back to nature, for instance, one really small sentence that got me onto this ecocentric way of living is understanding the small concept and more holistic concept that we are not the owners of this earth, but we are the caretakers. And when you start to have different perspectives offered to you, you can then shape your own. And what I commonly do with um, students in health class is I want to provide a space with them where they can challenge their own belief and challenge each other's beliefs because I think you won't actually become well-rounded until you can take your own thoughts and opinions out for a good bashing or a good beating with something. Um, but that's what research is there for. That's what technology is there for. Because once you've done all of that really hearty and solid information gathering, then you can spread it. You know, you mm -hmm. can present it. I think it, um, it was at St. Hilda's, the old girls school that I attended there and all Mac, is that right? Like MacBook yep. kind of school. Yep. And so that's where I understood that people who express their ideas differently in different formats finally have the chance with technology to present their ideas through stories or videos. And it's all the same type of content that we're looking at, but the expression through technology becomes so varied. And then you can share that. You can share that in an instant with school, classrooms, parents become a lot more involved in the process. Yep. And I just, I think technology can be used for such a great purpose in a school setting. I agree. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of technology and it's something that's always interested me and, you know, the, the impact that's going to have on technology in the next 10, 20 years is going to be phenomenal. And I, I, like, yeah. I like how you mentioned curiosity and I, that's, a, that's a big part of what I promote and encourage in the classroom. But, uh, you know, even... And it, it could just be because I've got a lot of boys and um, I teach at a boys' school, but they just don't say, like, I, I will go off on a tangent because something fascinates me and I want to know more about it, but I don't see them sharing that passion with me. And maybe it's because it's something <laughs> they find their passions, not my, not my passion. <laughs> it's, it's really hard getting them excited about something and being curious and wanting to know how something works and why it works and, and stuff like that. So, so those are some of the challenges that I have in the classroom, but yeah. Hmm. Well, as, when I think about curiosity, I go back to, I think about little children or even babies, and they're curious about everything. You know, they're seeing it with new eyes for the first time, and we kind of lose that because we get told that we're meant to be the certain way, and in primary school, all of that. It's almost like curiosity becomes a bad thing with those sayings that we have of curiosity killed the cat, yep. and then we just fall into routines and the way that our school system has been structured was based off production lines, you know, like school was a way to get people into factory work when the industrial revolution was sort of coming about. And you see we've got rows still in a lot of classrooms and you grade people with like the letter A and you think about level or the grade A of meat. Like everything that we've done in schools, if you look at a classroom 100 years ago with rows and hands up, a lot of our classrooms are still like that. Yep. So it's kind of scary to think how slow our progress is and changing and realizing that we actually need to do things that we haven't done before so that we can start reigniting that fire to be curious and to find out what really sparks you up and makes you see this world with new eyes again. Yeah, I think there's definitely 
a lot of flaws in, in our education system and, and you just see the curiosity just gets sucked out of these kids from even yeah. even from the transition from primary to intermediate and then again intermediate to secondary where it's it just just laid out into these routines and and we remove all opportunity for them to be curious and be creative and it, it is quite sad and I hope with the review that's coming up with NCA I, I hope there's more opportunity for that to happen um, and we can provide those pathways for kids to experience that a bit more frequently and, and regular I guess. Mm. You're a big fan of yeah. experiential learning or learning through play can you describe this model of learning and why you're so attracted to it? Yeah, I can. I, I sort of think, why do I even, why was I so drawn to this kind of uh, area myself? But I think it is because of the type of person that I am and how I've become passionate about being a lifelong learner myself through experience. And I sort of cotton on to this in my fourth in my final year doing my studies as a teacher last year and I really stumbled across it of play-based learning or learning through play and experiential learning and I think what really fascinated me was how we can interact with the world and learn in a way that is scary and I say scary because we can't really measure it when you let students be hands-on. You can't always have a fixed measuring system with that. And so this idea of learning through play that I began to research last year was about unstructured and voluntary play. And the reason why that's important is because it excites fun and self-discovery and pleasure. You know that we do it great in early childhood care, but we lose it and there's really little research to, to um, be able to support learning through play and experiential learning and play-based learning because we fall into those really rigid, uniformed systems when you reach higher education. Um, but, yeah, it's something that I just think is awesome. And if you look on YouTube, you can find uh, wild or I can't think of the word. They're like nature kindergartens. Oh, yeah. And I just think – yeah, I just think you learn so much when you get to be out in the world. And, you know, we, we got to climb trees at school and primary school and you got to stumble and you got to fall over and you got to, I don't know, you just got to learn a lot about life. And I really, I really like life and learning life experience because despite what I, how we sort of began this, um, this conversation of me going on my travels to gain life experience I truly believe every day you gain life experience every day through those little things, through interactions with a person or realizing how you learn in your everyday manner. That's life experience. Mm. Mm. But, but yeah, I, I just got really, I really loved the idea of learning through play. Yeah. When you, when you become a, a parent, this this becomes really apparent and I found myself the other day my son was asking me to go out on the deck and play with some bubbles and and I, I and I caught myself thinking in my head going no it's cold outside and there's no purpose to blowing bubbles and I was like well what am I telling myself you know that's for him, that is, there's so much learning that can happen from just going, uh, there doesn't have to be a purpose for it to happen, but think of all mm. the learning that's going to occur through him getting out there to see these bubbles in the air and to see them pop and how they float in the wind and, and all of that that he's going to absorb like a sponge. And here I am cutting him off because it's mm. not comfortable for me to go out there and do that with him. And, um, you know, that's that's really sad. And that's a, that's an extreme example, but... I guess there's, as educators and looking at the way we approach our classes and how we teach, there is, I'm not saying go out and blow bubbles with your level three <laughs> class, but we need to get away from the need to feel like we are doing busy teaching and instead maybe there are smaller learning learnings, smaller I'm not sure the word I, I want to use here, but 
there's smaller outcomes from less uh, less active learning, I, I guess. Less, I can't I can't put my tongue on it. But just by giving them experiences and maybe focusing on smaller learning outcomes as opposed to going, okay, yeah. today we, we're learning Newton's laws and this is how we're going to do it. But just let them discover some of that stuff for themselves. Because hmm. And that's the thing, you'll never know what, you know, something as small as blowing bubbles or having that experience now will do for them later on. That's why I really enjoy outdoor education because – they might have had it. I've just had year 12s in my tutor group come back and say how terrible it was on camp. You know, it was pouring with rain. But in a few years' time, maybe you'll look back on that and be like, wow, thank goodness I had that. It's made me so much more resilient as a person. And I really grasped some understandings, which I didn't see at the time. And so often we forget the soft skills yeah. that we we learn throughout the process. But I really do enjoy your story about the bubbles because it makes me think that's such a child way of looking at the world. And as we grow into adults, which I don't think anyone really is, we're just big kids. Um, you know, you see students and children, they don't think about the consequence. They don't think about the, no. that's going to happen. You know, whereas today, if we went outside right now at night and we looked at, a lake or a pool and we said oh I'm not jumping in because it's going to be cold but you know there'd be no hesitation if a kid wants to jump in the water yeah. they'll jump in the water then they'll get out and be like oh I'm cold now yeah. but we need more we need to be more childlike not childish but we need to be childlike and I remember one of my own experiences of this in Dunedin I was in my fourth year and I don't know what came over me but one day it was just pouring down with rain and it was middle of winter or getting close to the middle of winter and I was halfway through a walk that I was doing down to the harbour and I thought well I'm already wet and who really cares what other people <laughs> will think of me and I just started jumping in puddles and it is probably the most fun that I've ever had on my own and people on cars driving past probably thought random stuff about this you know student walking down jumping in puddles but I just had fun. And why think about the consequences when you can just be childlike and have those experiences impact you in a deep way, which you'll probably gain rich learning from it later on. It's almost like that learning gets to simmer on a pot for a while and you will reap the benefits of it in your later years of life. So after letting, after letting your puddle escapades summer for a little bit <laughs> what what learning did you take away from that it's probably been something that has been chipping away of learning not to care about what other people think of you in the world but if it makes you happy then and there why would you deny yourself that pleasurable and really joyous and pure experience so especially going into what I'm starting to go into for myself of traveling, you begin to learn that those little, so my blog is called The Little Things because I've really, like it's really overtaken me of, it's all those little things, all those little moments in life. And if you can just grab onto those opportunities, your life is going to be a lot more meaningful and richer as you go along. And I see that, you know, that's sort of why I really, uh, really harmonized with this idea of learning through play, because when you play and when I jumped in puddles, I was having fun, you know, I was having dopamine just come out and dopamine is that same chemical that when you receive a text and the text, you've got like a beep that comes, it will release some dopamine because that's a good feeling and it reinforces a behavior. And so you'll always want to check your phone and being by your phone is a good thing because of the dopamine that was released. So if play is fun and is enjoyable and releases chemicals in your brain, such as dopamine, you're going to want to do more of that play. And if some way you can incorporate learning or have an environment around, which is learning full, then people, you can encourage curiosity. You can encourage exploration, discovery, and when they're doing all of that, it's most likely if the teacher is around while they're having this play, students and people will come and they'll start to inquire. 
they'll be like, why can't I do this? Or how can I do this better? And after a while, you'll, you'll really see that if you want to seek something, you must enjoy it. And therefore, if you enjoy it, you'll most likely seek it. You know, I realized that when my research was around nature, but the first thing I did wasn't finding my research topic. Before I even got there, a year before, I was out planting trees in Karatani, which is a, a really small community 30 minutes from Dunedin. And it's from doing that and enjoying that that I got to my research. And I said, oh, I'm actually going to research a bit more into this. And how can I this research help the community that I've enjoyed working with? So it becomes this really nice back and forth that you have. What, what's your, what I'm, what I'm going to do is after this, I'm going to get a few more details from you and, and I'll make sure that I, um, because of the people who are listening right now, uh, having a, a, a response similar to me, they're going to want to start reading your blog because <laughs> some of the things you're saying are fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So I'll get that, I'll get the details for your blog off you and we'll post that in the show notes because I'm sure it's going to be a, a, a good read. Oh, uh, we've, we've been, oh, we've just about to hit an hour, our, our conversation. So before we get to the last question, is there anything that I might have missed asking or that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me? No, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I think from it, if there's one thing that I could encourage anyone to do is just continue to seek and open yourself up to new experiences for learning because if you value it, then it's going to be obvious and you're going to bring that kind of environment and culture into your own community or into your own classroom. Yeah, I I agree. I've really... You know, I, I started these podcasts a, a wee while ago and I started it for a specific reason, but as I, I guess as I matured as an interviewer, um, I started to see or gain a lot of pleasure from the people that I was meeting and the, the topics and the things, the discussion that came up. And this is, this has been a highlight for me of all of the people I've interviewed, the the talk that we've had and some of the, the yeah. concepts and the discussions that have come up. So um, I really appreciate appreciate that. But last question, you're about to go on a massive OE. Um, yes. <laughs> I want to say you're off to find yourself before you become a teacher, but I know it's so much more than that. But where are you heading? And, and I guess what are you hoping to achieve in your time away? Yeah, well, there's probably multiple things I'm hoping to achieve. I'm heading off. A little bit of everywhere, three months in Europe, but that also hits Eastern Europe and Scandinavia. And, you know, I, I kind of just wanted a break as well from five years of uni, quite mentally and emotionally hard. <laughs> and I have a lot of friends because I did Kiwi hosting in Dunedin where you look after international students. So I'll be meeting all of my friends as I travel around Europe. And I've also, one of my big aims is to learn a bit more about my ancestry in Croatia, where I'm meeting a distant relative. So aside from all of those really cool social interactions that I'll get to gain, I'm just really looking forward to having reflection time because you hear so often about people going on their big overseas trips and coming back as a different person. But at the end of the day, they're still the same person, but they've just been allowed a huge space of reflection that if you were given that time here, you, and you know, if you opened yourself up to being your outside of your comfort zone, you'd also feel like you've had a huge change while still remaining in your hometown. Mm. And so I'm really excited to be put in situations that I haven't experienced and having that uncertainty. And the one thing that is keeping me sane and keeping me, in a really positive mindset is that nervousness and excitement, that feeling that you get, they're actually found in the same place. So anytime for me, it's around my stomach, you kind of get butterflies. So anytime I think that I'm feeling nervous, I'm just like, no, no, that's the feeling of excitement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like, you know, you've, you've got an enjoyable time ahead of you and yeah. I'm a little bit jealous. You know, I, I never got to do my OE. I decided to buy a house and do all those adult sort of things. And, you know, thinking back now, I kind of, I, I don't regret it. I don't regret my life at all, but um, 
I wish I could have had more of those experiences, not finding myself, but just seeing the world a little bit more and being able to contemplate different cultures and different societies and, and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got, uh, um, some, I bet you're going to have some cool stories to share when you get back. So hopefully we, yeah. can, we can catch up again at some point. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Well, can I just say, I'm really glad that you took the life journey that you did because it has led to this conversation and it has led you to have this podcast series and um, platform to actually talk about some really important things. And you are clearly quite passionate about it. And I really appreciate and admire your skill and your ability to probe questions and to make it feel so natural and organic, the conversation that we've been having. So a huge thank you for you. Cool. I, I really do appreciate your feedback. Um, so travel safe. Um, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll be fine, but um, hurry back as well, because I think you <laughs> have uh, some amazing students that are going to be waiting for you when you get back and and from what i can tell in this you know this brief 60 minutes you are going to have so much to offer this profession and the sooner you get back the better and um i'm excited to hear where you end up and what you end up teaching and 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 how you end up teaching as well um and then taking on some of those reflections that you're no doubt going to have over the next three, four months and, and seeing how they shape your educational philosophy because you you are you seem like a deep thinker, um, even if it is visually and in poetic form, which I've got written down <laughs> here in a note. Um, uh, it's been a really fascinating um, discussion, so I, I appreciate you taking the time out, especially when you leave in like two days. So, um, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Mary, and, and uh, I hope you have uh, a safe and insightful trip. Oh, wonderful. No, thank you for having me. Cheers.